Welcome to the No More Risk Better Accredit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host, Zach Griffiths, and joining me today is our head of China Macro Research, Zerlina Zhang. Zerlina, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Zach. Looking forward to a great discussion. I know we've gotten to do this before, so I'm, I'm excited to hear your views. I understand that we got some news out of China today, and we're recording this on February 20th. What's the latest? What policy adjustments did they make? What are they trying to target with these adjustments? Just take us through a quick update there. Yeah, the latest news was China cut its five-year loan prime rate which is the benchmark for long-term lending, such as mortgages and LGIV project loans, by 25 basis, basis point today. That was quite a surprise to the market because just two days ago, the central bank didn't cut the medium-term lending facility rate, which was the marginal funding cost of Chinese banks, so the market was expecting no change. And this is also the largest five-year LPR cut since the rate was introduced in 2019. Basically, this is, was a larger than April 20, when China was still in the COVID pandemic. Um, I think the main target of this policy rate cut was basically to boost market sentiment. But if we look at the equity market, the price reaction has been very limited. And the dollar China also didn't move much. On the, in the onshore market, the 10-year government bond yields only marginally lower. But if we look at the credit market, it was uh, quite positive. Um, China IG credit traded very well today. Most are the investors putting on long durations in the high quality China tech as well as China SOEs, the high beta names in China tech, triple B related ones, as well as some of even the triple B rated China property traded very well today. Um, so if we look at the exact impact of this LPR cut, um, I think quite limited because the five-year LPR cut would immediately lower the interest rate on new mortgages but the saving for Chinese household is small. So for a 2 million 30-year mortgage with 10% down payment, the estimated saving is only 3,000 per annum RMB for a Chinese household. So the boost to household disposable income and consumption is likely very limited. And also the repricing of existing mortgages would take place only gradually over a year. And uh, the other reason is banks might be unwilling to extend more mortgages given um, right now the difference between one-year and five-year LPR, as well as the five-year loan prime rate and their um, funding rate, which is the LMR.
net rate is at on or at historical lows. So banks are also a bit reluctant to extend to the mortgage segment. So overall, I think this uh, policy rate is just another signal that the Chinese central government and the regulators are very much aware of this uh, fragile market sentiment, and they really want to boost it. But I think uh, going forward, we still need to watch out for the real rollout of other stimulus, such as on the fiscal side. Also, how all these uh, monetary easing translate to the real credit and economic growth. So what I'm hearing here is basically the credit market took it well and, and traded a little bit better on the back of it. But in terms of real economic implications, it really doesn't change your outlook. Does it change what you're expecting with respect to future policy moves, either on the monetary policy or fiscal policy side? Um, I think uh, on the monetary side, we still expect another 10 basis point of policy rate cut, likely only in the second half of the year, because right now this five-year loan prime rate cut is quite substantial, and the Chinese banks are already facing a lot of net interest margin pressure. So I think the central bank also want to protect the margin of the banks. The other thing is the RMB is facing a lot of depreciation pressure, and the PBOC is also aware of this depreciation pressure and they want to protect the currency. Then we also expect the central bank to continue to cut the bank reserve requirement ratio, likely another 25 to 50 basis points more backloaded into second half of year. I think most of the heavy lifting will come from the fiscal side and this will be related to local infrastructure investment rollout, some of the targeted support into the manufacturing sector, green transition, technology, urban renewal, all these uh, strategically important sector for the central government. And I think the regulators will be very much focused on the implementation and coordination between different ministers and regulators. Because if we look at in the past two years, we did have a lot of stimulus measures, but it didn't yield much results just because the coordination between different ministers was very poor. So we're looking for more changes to come on the monetary side. Think that the the heavy lifting needs to come from the fiscal side. So take us through where the economy stands. We're only a couple months into 2024. So I'd imagine most of our data is just through the end of December. But how are you thinking about the status of the economy right now? Um, so I think the status of the economy is actually better than feared. It is still soft, but it is not derailing. If we look at the Chinese New Year activity data, domestic tourism and passenger traffic flows are picking up, and they have already exceeded the pre-COVID levels in 2019. Just the spending was diverted towards more affordable online retail, food and beverages, and domestic travel instead of you know, some of the overseas uh, trips. So if we look at the other side of the data, cross-border travel was way below pre-pandemic levels. Only a few destinations such as Macau and Southeast Asia are benefiting from the Chinese tourism. Even if we look at Hong Kong, the recovery is still about 20% below pre-COVID levels, even though this is uh, still recovering, but it's a quite a muted pace. If we look at the credit demand in January, it was a positive surprise um, thanks to the last round of fiscal and credit support measures in 
the fourth quarter last year, but it's also just targeted sectors such as green transition, technology, property sector. We haven't really seen a very big rebound in terms of credit extension, and privately owned business and consumer confidence remain quite fragile. I think some bright spots so far is the improving industrial profits as well as the normalizing inventory levels. Last year,、um, China's industrial production was、uh, not doing well because、uh, right after the COVID reopening, the manufacturers stocked a lot of、uh, goods, but this inventory level is reducing and normalizing towards the end of year. So I think、um, moving to this year, we are going to have have some restocking related growth drivers and also infrastructure project infrastructure projects should be accelerating with the central government and allocating more fiscal resources and to the local government.、Um, overall, I think the weak spot is really still the property sector. There is going to be continued contraction, even though the drag is likely going to be a bit smaller than last year because of all the property easing and funding support measures.、Um, so overall, our growth outlook, I think, right now is a bit above consensus. In March, China will have two large、uh, two sessions meetings to set the growth target for the year, as well as some of the fiscal budget. We still expect the government to set the growth at around five percent, which is also our base case scenario here. And you mentioned Zerlina at the start that you are a little bit more optimistic in terms of the growth outlook than the consensus, thinking that we come in right around this five percent rate, which you also expect the government to set at the meetings in March. Where is the consensus? Is it well below that, or, or just a couple basis points below that? And just kind of frame up the、uh, the consensus for us. So consensus right now is quite low. So first for first quarter of the year, people are looking about four、uh, percent that type of growth, and for the whole year 2024, people are looking at about 4.6 to 4.7 this range. So、um, while、well, our number is about five percent, so it's not that far away. But I think the consensus is still in general below what the government is targeting. Great, and you mentioned a bright spot that you're seeing is improving industrial profits, some of this normalizing of inventory levels, and perhaps even restocking being a growth driver in 2024. How does that all fit into the inflation picture? I see some of the headline numbers showing signs of deflation or, or completely flat readings, and we've been getting some client questions on that and how to think about how that fits into the global. Inflation narrative. So, are these improving industrial profits coming from lower input cost side, or an expansion of margins elsewhere? What are you seeing there, and how is that factoring into your outlook? Yeah, overall, we are not so concerned about China's CPI deflation as well as the PPI deflation. I think one key reason behind it was because of the base. So in 2022, the commodity prices were very high, and also China experienced some quite high refined oil prices as well as the upstream product、um, prices are very high. So if you look at the industrial profits allocation in 2022 and most part of 23, it's the upstream sector enjoying most of the profits. But starting into the third quarter of the year, it is、um, moving into the midstream and downstream sectors.、And、so right now we are seeing the inventory levels are normalizing for PCs, smartphones, as well as a lot of the industrial metals such as steel, aluminum, and copper.、And、so I expect the demand is going to be stronger 
into this new year. And also the low base effect will moderate in, in 2024. And um, I think the other thing to watch out for is uh, right now the export order book for a few sectors such as auto and steel is still very strong for Chinese manufacturers. And uh, it seems like the momentum is continuing to the first quarter of the year. So we think this should aid the related industrial production and profits. Great. That's really helpful and certainly encouraging. You know, I, it's interesting here in the U.S., signs of deflation, at least in some subsectors, would be kind of a welcome development as long as it wasn't pervasive throughout the economy as deflation is kind of a, a nasty economic outcome in general. So definitely encouraged to hear that that's not going to be a major concern of yours going forward. So taking all of your views that we've heard so far a little bit better than expected growth outlook relative to the consensus. How do you think investors should be playing that from a credit perspective? Just kind of take us through what you like in terms of of duration and positioning across ratings. Yeah, in terms of our China credit view, I think overall we are still quite constructive, even though the spread has been tightening quite a bit since November alongside the better risk sentiments. In terms of the picks um, for duration trades, we like the higher quality names, um, including China Tech, A-rated China Tech, Alibaba, Tencent, Elon, and we also think the A-rated Hong Kong property is quite attractive from a relative value point of view. In terms of the beta trades, I think a lot of the Asian clients are talking about whether Fed cuts or not, this is going to be positive for Asian credits because if they cut, there's going to be more inflows. If they don't cut, people want to buy more bonds to do um, good carry. Um, so in terms of the beta trades, especially for those China macro positive upside trade, um, we like triple B China tech. So this includes some of the higher beta names like Lenovo, Meituan AC tech. For those brave hearts, um, we like a few selected LGIV names, including Gansu Provincial Highway. We also like um, state-owned China property companies um, for those still looking for exposure. They have been trading quite well late, uh, recently um, on the back of the policy support. Then when it comes to the high yield segments, a uh, quite limited choice given the China property is gone, but we still like a few selected China high yield industrial names. Within the Macau gaming sector, we like Wayne Macau, Sense China, and uh, our financial teams continue to like a few high beta names like Bank of East Asia, Fasting Bank, and Huawei's Horizon. I think overall right now timing is not great because China IG spreads have tightened very significantly since November and um, I, I think um, the favorable technicals are probably is also in play because the new supply from greater China region is uh, just very limited so we'd suggest investors to wait for better entry points and for instance we China, when US China geopolitical risk headlines flare up or if there is a very significant USD sell-off then risk sentiment off, or if there are more negative China macro and property headlines popping out. That's really helpful. And just thinking about what you mentioned with the Fed call, and I think that's something that's come into much greater focus here. Everyone seemed to get very comfortable with a March rate cut possibility, at least at the end of last year and early this year. Chairman Powell came out in January and said that's probably off the table. And I think the most recent inflation data have all but solidified that point. And so do you think you need to see a little bit of central bank easing outside of China as well to help spreads continue tightening? And if not, I guess another question maybe from a more tactical perspective is, do you see 
any clear catalyst to allow spreads to widen and present that better entry point opportunity over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think right now it's quite interesting that within Asian credit investors, the outlook for credit spreads and Asian IG especially is very bullish. So if under the scenario, Fed is going to cut rates earlier than expected, then clients want to buy credits because we're going to see inflow into Asia. And second scenario, if Fed is not going to cut rates, then clients want to buy credits as yields are quite attractive now. And the Fed, if Fed does nothing, then clients still want to buy credits for carry. It does sound like the type of a mentality right before a market sell-off. That's why we are getting also a little bit of cautious. I think there are some reasons my resulting a sell-off within Asia IG credits. The first is, you know, very sharp adjustments or repricing of the U.S. Treasury yields. Then we might see some Asian investors taking profits on their duration trades. And we might also see some out, even outflows out of the region. We will trigger some additional sell-off among the investors. Second is uh, really um, China macro is a swing factor and also additional defaults coming from the China property segment, especially if some large state-owned um, China property developers are facing some liquidity issues. I think that will trigger a risk off um, within the IG space and it will have some spillover effect into the risk, risk sentiment towards other IG segments within Asia. And I think, think the third is really the geopolitical risk. We do still have some elections coming up um, in Asia right now. In the past couple of ones in Pakistan, Indonesia turned out to be quite market friendly. But moving to the end of the year, we'll have the U.S. election. So I think geopolitical risk within the region is still very high. And investors might get spooked by some of the negative headlines and sell off their credit portfolio. And so you'd think that's really would be more of an opportunity to add a little bit of duration, perhaps, or at least take advantage of a little bit more attractive credit spreads if that were to play out for any of those reasons you outlined. Yeah, I think for China IG space, the credit fundamental is still quite solid. Um, if you look at SOE names, the funding access to the onshore banks and bond market is very strong. Even the privately owned enterprises, talking about the high yield ones, they don't have access to offshore dollar bond market, but they do have quite good access to onshore bond market as well as onshore bank loans. And the offshore syndicate loan market is quite hot for these high yield Chinese issuers. And so I think the overall credit fundamental liquidity and fund conditions has uh, substantially improved compared to the start of last year. So overall, I think if there is a very deep sell-off within the Asian um, IG, especially China IG credits, I would see that as an opportunity to add some duration or add some high beta names. Awesome. That's very helpful. It's interesting you point out that we're at a mentality in the market right before a sell-off. And we just did a bunch of client meetings here in Charlotte, and we came to the same conclusion as everyone seems just a little bit too comfortable, I guess, with the, the current market environment. Creds are, or credit spreads are very tight here in the U.S. as well. But what we're seeing in the primary market really across investment grade and high yield is deals are getting done at very attractive levels, very little new issue coupons. So it does seem like there is still plenty of cash out there to be put to work. And if you think about the Fed potentially being a central bank that's that's easing ahead of others, you know, we're trying to consider the potential for an inflow of cash here into the US as hedging costs for various investors potentially 
continue to come down. The one concern that we've been pointing out is is the potential for another sell-off in treasury yields, whether that be driven by the supply of duration in treasuries we're expecting this year. But so far, it seems like demand for duration is more or less insatiable in the market as a whole. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is just how much cash is locked up in money market funds that could move out both the credit and duration curves. Is there a similar dynamic in China or a base of cash left over from all of the stimulus we've had over the past? couple of years that you see as a a potential further technical tailwind for the China IG market? Yeah, we did see some technical tailwinds. The first is because over the past two years, a lot of the private banks and family offices here, these money were parked in the money market funds. And uh, towards the fourth quarter of last year, these clients were talking about reallocating into the cash bonds and some of them into private credits or a low market. But they're definitely moving out of the money market because they are thinking about the Fed rates going lower. So that's one inflow related technical um, tailwind. The second is about the very limited supply in Asia IG space, especially in greater China, basically just don't anything. I think at the end of last year, we were a little bit concerned that because uh, in January, we are going to see very big issuance coming out from the Korean corporates market and also continued issuance coming from um, the, the FI segment. But it was a totally different case in January. Um, client actually chased these uh, new papers and the existing curve of these new issues actually outperformed those without the new issues. So uh, I think it's a really, um, there is a, in general, a lack of uh, long duration assets in Asia. And whenever you get a new issue, people are very excited and they will pick up the already um, very expensive duration assets in Asia credit space. So um, for the rest of the year, we still expect a negative net issuance from Asia IG segment, um, especially in greater China. So I think this will continue support spreads for the rest of 2024. Um, situation might change in 25 if the you know the, the US core rates are coming lower, but in 24, it it feels like uh, we are still going to see that um, negative new issues in Asia IG. All right, Zerlina. So a lot of factors there you see supporting spreads throughout the rest of this year. Before we wrap up, what to you is the key risk facing the market in terms of Asian IG credit spreads where they are today? I think it's still about the U.S. Treasury movement. As you also mentioned, if we see a very sharp sell-off in the U.S. Treasuries, then the knee-jerk reaction here in Asia is a risk-off, and people would be thinking about moving money into U.S. IG because right now Asia IG is really not cheap compared to U.S. IG, and a lot of the mentality of the clients is um, if there is a U.S.T. sell-off, I'd rather park my money in more familiar or higher-quality U.S. IG names. So um, we do see this correlation between outflow from Asia credits and um, UST moving higher. So I think this is really the biggest risk for Asia credit spreads this year. Zerlina, this has been incredibly helpful. I learned a lot as always. So we have a constructive view for 2024. Key risk is watch out for treasury yields moving higher and that attracting capital out of Asia. So I think that's a, a great summation to leave our clients with. Zerlina Zhang, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Zach. And thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you next time on No More Risk Better. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. 
and if it cites nor its affiliates, makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.